I wonder if uh, I got you to imagine or visualise a holy place. I wonder where you'd think of. Uh, if you asked me, I would come up with two places in particular, but I suspect neither of them places you would imagine. Uh, the first is uh, a road uh, called Sea Road that heads down a hill, uh, down into a little coastal village in Northern Ireland. Uh, it's uh, the place on that road where the countryside just begins to peter out. You're just coming through a couple of fields uh, and just onto the outskirts of a very ordinary village that itself faces out to the North Sea and towards the west coast of Scotland. The second holy place that I would think of is the back steps of uh, a little cottage in that same village, uh, particularly at a, uh, about half past 11 at night, uh, standing on the back steps, uh, hearing the sea in the distance. And uh, yeah, those would be the two that I would think of. Wonder why? Wonder where you would imagine as a holy place. I guess perhaps we might immediately think of a monastery, uh, maybe a, a, a cathedral, perhaps especially a place with a particular significance, maybe Canterbury Cathedral and a, a place of martyrdom uh, for Thomas Beckett. Uh, perhaps you'd imagine one of the places in uh, uh, Israel-Palestine, the Sea of Galilee, or maybe the place where we think Jesus was crucified, or maybe in Bethlehem, the place of his birth. It's interesting, isn't it? Every religion has its holy places, sometimes made holy by something that happened there, sometimes made holy by uh, a commitment to worship in that place. Every faith has this sense of uh, places where the gap that we sense, that we experience between us and that ultimate reality, depending on how the religion describes it, seems thinner, seems closer. Interestingly enough, I think even atheistic worldviews have their holy places and their holy times, those moments of awe. I'm yet to find anyone who hasn't been moved beyond themselves by the moment of birth or the moment of death. Or maybe, uh, if you don't mind something a bit more trivial, a huge sporting moment or act of heroism. Those things that take us beyond ourselves, that imply to us there is something more to this world and that maybe that gap is bridged. The interesting thing about the Bible and holy places is it does things quite differently. Rather than imagining that there are moments where, to put it a little bit crassly, God shows up, moments where God reaches across the gap somehow. Instead, the Bible seems to imply that times that we recognize as holy, places that we recognize as holy, are far more to do with us than to do with God. By which I mean, it's not so much that God shows up, so much as that we have our eyes, our ears, and our hearts opened to recognize him. It's not so much that most of the time God is far off and distant, and occasionally he just pushes through the curtain, whispers in our ear. It's that, to use Paul's words, God is closer to us than breathing. But there are times and places where our eyes see that he is there. Our ears hear him speak to us. Our hearts respond. And so it is with Genesis 28. It's a fantastic story. Uh, the story of Jacob 
in the middle of nowhere in a very unprepossessing moment. It's not sort of the place that Jacob would imagine was going to be holy. He was a long way from home. He was in trouble. If you don't know the story of Jacob, it's a wonderful one. It's a story of mess and redemption. It's a story of family strife and of reconciliation. Most of all, it's a story of God's constant love and patience and presence. If you read through uh, Genesis, you find that back in Genesis 12, God has made a promise to Abraham. The promise is, I will bless you so that you bless others. I will make you and your family a blessing to the world. As we were thinking last week, as we began our little series on everyday faith, we had that sense of being part thrown into a story which has been going for thousands of years, of God choosing people, blessing them, scattering them in order to make them a blessing to the world. Well, that's what God had promised to Abraham back in Genesis 12. I have chosen you, he says. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family. And you, as I scatter you, are going to be a blessing to the world. Well, Abraham's son Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob had monumentally trampled on that blessing. He trampled on the blessing, ironically, by trying to steal it. He trampled on the blessing, ironically, by trying to take what was going to be given to him anyway. That sense of being blessed by God, of being part of God's family. And he had deceived his dad, deceived his brother. He'd had to run. And here he is, in the least holy place you can imagine from Jacob's point of view, away from his family, away from a place that he knew, on the run, in the middle of a desert, with a stone for his pillow. And what the Bible shows us here is not that suddenly God appears as if he hadn't been there before, but that what God does is open Jacob's eyes and ears and heart to the God who is always with us, to the God who counts each place holy. I wonder where your stone pillow and desert is that place that perhaps you are in because you have to be in it or in because you're simply there every day not a place that you would particularly choose to spend lots and lots of time not a place you would call holy I wonder where your stone pillow is where do you rest your head where's that place where God needs to open your eyes to see him there open your ears to hear him speak open your heart to respond could be sitting at your desk on Monday morning, could be standing at the school gate, could be waking up in the middle of the night to look after a young child, could be being there late at night to look after an elderly parent, could be sitting in front of the TV late in the afternoon drinking a cup of coffee or picking up the phone to ring a friend. Where is your stone pillow? Where is your desert? That you wouldn't imagine God would be there and yet God wants to open your eyes to see him, to open your ears to hear him, to open your heart to respond to him. So Jacob has his eyes opened. Uh, it happens in a dream. Uh, I don't know whether you're one of those people who regularly remembers their dreams. Um, I uh, don't do a lot of remembering of my dreams. The ones I do tend to be the not-so-nice ones. Um, uh, I have been known um, on one occasion to uh, leap out of bed thinking there was an enormous spider uh, coming down from the ceiling. It was pointed out to me uh, by my wife that I had abandoned her to what I thought was an enormous spider coming down from the ceiling. Um, there you go. I have no defense apart from I was running. Um, 
Sometimes dreams feel really, really real. And the more we understand the way dreams work, psychologically at least, is that they seem to be something to do with processing what's happened during the day or during the week, processing what we think of and fear is going to happen in the days or weeks to come. Dreaming's really important. We seem to do it every night. We don't just always, we just don't always remember them. But in the Bible, dreams have a little bit more to them than that. There seem to be plenty of times in the Bible when God speaks through dreams. And in this dream, Jacob has his eyes, his ears, and his heart opened. And his eyes are opened to see not something new that God is doing just for him at that moment, as if God has been up in heaven, sees Jacob lying down with a stone under his pillow and goes, right, let's put down the escalator for our angels. But actually a dream that says to him, open your eyes because God is always here. God's aids, his angels coming and going. God's presence right in that place where you've put your head on that stone pillow. Open your eyes. Not a sense of this is what's happening just at this moment. Much more, uh, this is what's always happening. Play the clock forward a few thousand years to the time of Jesus. And you find Jesus on that mountaintop in Luke, what we call the Transfiguration. There with his disciples. And suddenly they see Jesus with some of God's ancient leaders transfigured before them. And what the Bible is saying about that moment is not that Jesus became something he wasn't, as if he was just a human until that point and suddenly he became glorious, but that their eyes saw what was always and already true, the truth of Jesus' glory, that this was God come to be with us. Something like that is happening here. Eyes to see what is always, always true. Those back steps I described, for me, was a holy place. Still, I think, will always be a holy place. It's a tiny little cottage that we're lucky enough to have inherited on the North Irish, Northern Irish coast, um, looking out to Donegal and looking out to uh, the west coast of Scotland. We lived there in the year that I was unemployed, 15 years ago before coming here. And uh, after a month or two where the novelty value had started to wear off, I mean, it was quite nice for a month or two uh, being by the seaside, heading into the summer, quite enjoying that sort of period of sort of... <sighs> but as those weeks turned into the months and the months became six months, that sense of fear, that sense of abandonment, that sense of what is God doing? What, what's happening? Have I messed up? Where am I going? What am I doing? And particularly that sense of distance from God began to grow. And every night, I'm rubbish at going to bed, so every night, sometime around midnight or later, I would go out onto the back steps uh, in order to lock up, but I would always open the door first and go out onto the back steps, even if it was bucketing with rain or blowing a gale, as I have to confess it is regularly doing on the North Antrim coast. And I would listen, and I would look. And what I would hear and see was the sea pounding away. Even if it was pitch black, you can still hear it. Still see the lights twinkling over in Port Stewart. And I would see and know that God was there. That however my life seemed all over the place, however much I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing, however much I felt like I had a stone pillow under my head and I was in the middle of a desert, that actually God did not change. And the way that he, God spoke, the way that I saw was through those waves. That those waves had been pounding on that beach for thousands of years before me, 
and would carry on doing for thousands of years after me, that God's presence, his love, was constant. Every night, I'd open the back door, I'd stand on the back step, sometimes shivering and wet, and I would see what was true all the time, but a lot of the time I missed. Where's your holy place? It might be on the tube going into work in the morning. It might be at your desk. It might be playing with your kids. It might be changing a nappy. Where is your holy moment, holy place, when God opens your eyes to see what is always true, but so often we miss, that God is here with us? Always. One of the beautiful disciplines um, that I think really helps is a prayer to end the day. It's a very ancient prayer called the prayer of examine that I've spoken about here before, where you simply pray three things. Heavenly Father, where have I seen you at work today? Heavenly Father, I'm sorry where I've missed you at work today. Heavenly Father, grant me sleep. Very simple. Where have I seen you? Where have I missed you? Grant me sleep eyes to see. But secondly, Jacob has his ears opened. His ears opened to hear what God says. And what God says is about God, primarily. Verse 13, there above this stairway to heaven stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. It's really important to get the fact that in the Christian faith, we don't believe in a vague spiritual sense of holiness. We believe in a God who is real, a God who is there, a God who, yes, speaks. When he trundled forward to the New Testament, you find Jesus promising the gift of his spirit to be with us. And over and over again, Jesus promises that his spirit isn't just going to give us a vague sense of feeling like God's with me, but a very specific sense of God speaks. God communicates. That I'm not to go through my life living in, if you like, silence. With a vague sense that maybe God is there and watching me. But actually that God is with me and speaking. God speaks in so many different ways. There are times when God speaks through our gut intuition. There are times when God speaks through dreams, like for Jacob. There are many times when God speaks through friends, family. God speaks whenever we open up his word. God speaks in worship. God speaks in times of prayer. The point about God speaking is that we have to listen. We have to expect him to speak. We have to have our ears pinned back, ready to hear. That other holy place that I talked about was the road going down into that village. And back in those days, when I was young, um, I used to run. Not very well, not very fast, not very far, but I did. I used to run. I used to put my earphones in and 
I used to, in this, uh, at that time, I used to always listen to worship music, some of the sort of songs that we sing on a Sunday morning. And there was one album that in, if it was a physical album, an LP, in LP days, for those of you who remember such things, I'd have worn out, I'd have worn out the grooves by listening to over and over and over again uh, by an Irish uh, worship songwriter called Owen Heaslip. And that album, God seemed to just speak to me again and again and again through. And there was one moment as I ran down the hill, and I was utterly in despair. I I cannot begin to tell you the depths that I'd hit in terms of just thinking, I have completely, utterly messed up. I am so far away from home. I am so far away from what I thought God had called me to. I have no idea where I go next. And the, the song that was playing simply spoke right into my heart. I mean, it wasn't a voice in my head, but it might as well have been, of utter reassurance and confidence from God that he wasn't going to leave me, that he hadn't abandoned me, that he was with me. God speaks when we listen. God speaks when we give him space. God speaks because he loves us. But when we see him and when we hear him, we also need to respond to him. And that's finally what God does in and through Jacob. He gives him a heart to respond. And he responds in these two ways, doesn't he? He responds with praise. He responds with an action to remind him, that stone that he sets up. He responds with a promise. Now, the stone that he sets up is simply a reminder, isn't it? It's a very simple thing. He simply goes, I was leaning on that stone. I'm going to set it up here so if I ever come back again, that's going to remind me. Uh, And actually, we, we need reminders, don't we? Some people walk around with a little wooden cross in their pocket. Some people carry... A pebble from a beach. Some people carry a piece of paper. Some people stick a reminder on their phone that beeps at midday so they remember to pray the Lord's Prayer. Whatever it is that gives you that nudge to say, you know that place where you are right now, God's here. Have eyes to see, have ears to hear. We need reminders. How are you going to remind yourself tomorrow of God's presence with you, of God speaking to you? And this promise in some ways, it's quite an unhealthy promise. We haven't got time to unpack it, but I'm not convinced, if you don't mind me saying this, of one of the great leaders uh, and uh, God's people. I, I think in Bible terms, Jacob gets it a bit wrong. He basically says to God, you can be my God if, if, mind you, if you do all of these things for me. It's not the way it works. That's a contract. God doesn't work in contracts. He works in covenants. God says, I'm always going to love you, so love me back. Not us saying to God, if you look after me the way I tell you to, then I'll do this for you. But what he gets right is to simply say, I'm going to do something as a result of seeing you and hearing you. I'm going to live differently because I recognize you're with me. And the thing that I'm going to live differently most of is to commit my life to you, is to recognize that my life belongs to you, is to recognize that everything comes from you. God blesses us, he scattered us, scatters us, he makes us a blessing. And as we do so, wherever we are, wherever your stone pillow is this week, he wants to open our eyes to see that he's there. He wants to open our ears to hear him speak. He wants to open our hearts to respond in obedience and in worship. And as we do that, that blessing that we receive 
then becomes a blessing to others. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God wants to bless others through you this week. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the experience of Jacob. Thank you for that dream. Thank you that he had eyes to see what was always and everywhere true. That he had ears to hear you speak to him and show him yourself. And that you opened his heart to respond. And as we think about our everyday faith, our Monday through Saturday as well as Sunday lives, we pray for one another that we would have eyes on Monday morning to see you there. That we would have ears to hear you speak and hearts to respond. In Jesus' name. Amen.